Carolina. Our mail usually goes through Mooresville first because even the post office doesn't know where we're at. So, uh, so I'm always glad to get out and about and see the, see the big city like we got here. It's always a blessing. Just a blessing to be here. Thank you so much, Pastor, for having us again. Appreciate it. Good to have Miss Dana with me, my dear wife, this year. Uh, she hadn't gotten to be here with me before. It's the first, first time I've heard of being in this meeting, and I've been telling her about it for a while. Always love coming. Love everything about it. Love the atmosphere. Love the singing. Just such an effortless excellence about it. And just love, love the spirit in it. The food's been phenomenal. The, the, the hotel room, the basket. Thank you for the basket. The basket, we got to the basket last night. It had like fruits and vegetables and nuts. And Miss Dana found three lottery tickets. We're pretty hopeful about that. So, man, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's got a little bit of everything. But, but, but th thank you for your great hospitality to us. We have just thoroughly enjoyed it. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, if you would please. Mark chapter 10. When you found your place in Mark chapter 10, if you don't mind, let's stand real briefly out of respect and reverence to reading God's word. And I'm looking forward to hearing Brother Shirley again tonight. He sure did bless my soul last night. Mark chapter 10, verse 46 through 52, familiar passage of scripture I'd like to turn our attention to just for a few short moments. Mark chapter 10, verse 46, the Bible says, And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And then he charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Heavenly Father, bless, I pray, the reading of your word as we look back at this historical account. I pray that you'd help me to draw from it the truths for today that you'd have to be applied to each heart. Please, Lord, let the Holy Ghost of God take over everything that I say and do. Lord, empty me of self, any thought of vain glory and foolish desire. Lord, I pray that you'd magnify Christ this night high and lift it up in our, in our sight and our hearing. I pray you do your perfect work through your perfect word tonight. And for everything you do, Lord, we give you the glory for you alone are worthy. These things we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This text gives us the account of one of the more famous miracles in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, the healing of blind Bartimaeus. And there's much to see within these verses. There's one thing, though, that's captured my attention and continues to captivate it. And we'll work our way through the text and see what's there. And I'll give you the title of the message and the thought behind it near to the end of the message. Notice, though, first of all, the circumstance of the beggar. Mark chapter 10, verse 46 says, And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. Now, it is amazing how rich the Bible is. Every word, every name, every detail is dripping with significance. The Bible's not like any other book. There is no filler material in this book. Bartimaeus is mentioned specifically in only two places in Scripture, here and in Luke chapter 18, which is another account of this exact same event. We never hear of his birth. We never hear of his early life. But in just this one verse, we can learn a wealth about him. Here's what I mean. As we look at Mark chapter 10, verse 46, God gives us some vital details about this man and his background. As no doubt you know, names in the Bible mean things. 
Jesus. You consider the Old Testament uh, episode of David and Abigail and Nabal. Everybody pretty much knows that Nabal means fool. Now, girls, can you imagine? You have been praying, begging and fasting before God that he would bring you that wonderful, tall, dark, handsome, mysterious stranger that is to be your wedded husband. And finally, you pull into the church parking lot one day, and here comes the Ferrari into the parking lot. The door to the Ferrari opens, and a man about six foot three with a dark complexion and wavy black hair and gigantic, ginormous muscles steps out of the car, and he locks eyes on you. You know there's a connection. He comes to you, and he says, good evening. I have been praying and fasting for a wife, and God directed me here this night, and seeing you, I have no doubt that it is for you. And he says, I have the Ferrari, and I have the finances, and I have the Villa by the Sea. I do not know your name, but I know you are for me. My name is Fool. All of a sudden, everything changed. I mean, for a minute there, you thought you were sure this was God's will. And then all of a sudden he busts out the name Nabal, fool, and all of a sudden you're not interested anymore. Jedediah in Scripture means beloved of the Lord. Daniel means God is my judge. Moses, drawn out of water. Moses is now one of the most impressive names on earth. I mean, you hear somebody called Moses, and obviously their parents had a lot, lot of good high hopes for them. Moses, though, when he was born, he was named that by Pharaoh's daughter and meant, meant drawn out of water. In other words, Moses means yanked him out in the river. I mean, it's just, <laughs> so names, names meant things in the Bible. Let me ask you a question. How many names are there in verse 46? Anybody know? Yes. This is the audience participation point of our server. There. How, many name, how many names do you see there? See something? So I heard somebody say two. That's, that's the most common, most common answer. Bartimaeus and Timaeus. But do something for me, please. Uh, take your finger and cover up the first three letters in the name Bartimaeus. Now compare the two names and what do you see? They're the same. Uh, Bartimaeus is the name Timaeus with a prefix bar attached to it. Bar simply means the son of. Bartimaeus simply means the son of Timaeus. So Bartimaeus isn't so much a name as it is a statement. Oh, him, that's Timaeus's boy. Bartimaeus technically wasn't even really given his own name, and I think I can show you why. The name Timaeus means one who is highly valued, one who is worth a great deal. Comes from the word Tamao, which means honor and worth. When Timaeus was born, his parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles and cousins thought a lot of him. They had high hopes for him. They gave him a name that indicated they expected great things from him. Maybe Timaeus was going to be a doctor finding a cure for leprosy. Maybe Timaeus was going to be a war hero and liberate the Jews from Rome. Maybe Timaeus was going to be the next great prophet, the next Elijah or Elisha or Moses. The family of Timaeus had high hopes for him. We don't know whatever happened to Timaeus himself. We don't know if any of the great plans his family had for him were ever realized and materialized. But we do know that one day he got the blessed news that a baby was on the way. And my, how wonderful that news is to a husband and wife. But one day Timaeus found out that he and his wife were going to have a baby. Whether or not Timaeus ever lived up to that, we don't know. But we finally find that his own child is born. And if he's not blind at birth, I think it's very clear he's blind pretty shortly thereafter. You see, when it came time to name this new baby boy, they gave him a name that indicated no great expectations for him. This boy was not one highly valued. He was simply the son of one who was highly valued. His name didn't look forward. It looked backwards. It, it didn't look ahead to what a great person they expected him to be. It looked back to the great 
person they expected his father to be, it's easy to see how they would look into the great lifeless eyes of a blind baby and say, oh, what a shame. Oh, well, at least this worthless baby has a father with some value. So the circumstances of the beggar were not good. He was a blind man in a time when there were no work assistance programs, no seeing eye dogs, no disability or social security. He was consigned to a life of begging. For 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 years, he would sit out in the hot sun and cry for someone to give him a few pennies so he wouldn't starve. He would never get married. He would never have children of his own. He was as low as a person could get. And that, by the way, is a tremendous parallel to the condition of a sinner. If you're here lost, believe me, your condition is not good at all. So we see the circumstance of the beggar. Notice in the conflict of the beggar. Now Luke 18, 36 tells us that one day while Bartimaeus was sitting by Jericho begging, he heard the commotion of a multitude pass by. Then Mark 10, 47 says, And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Now some folks around Bartimaeus told him that all the noise was being caused by a crowd of people following Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus was in the last days of his earthly ministry. He'd grown famous by the time he had walked on water. He'd fed multitudes of just a few fishes, a handful of bread. He'd turned water to wine. He had raised the dead. He'd given hearing to the deaf. He had cast out the demons. And he had on more than one occasion given sight to the blind. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus was coming by, he pitched a fit. He was going to get Jesus' attention one way or the other. So he started hollering and shouting and screaming, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And when this poor, wretched, blind man began to cry for mercy, Mark 10, 48 says, And many charged him that he should hold his peace. Luke's account even says that they rebuked him of all things. Not one, not two, not four, five, but many people in the crowd said, oh, Bartimaeus, just hush. We don't need to hear from a blind man. Jesus coming by. He's an important man. He needs our attention. We need his attention. Bartimaeus, you just need to be quiet. Nobody, nobody needs to hear from you. People that could see. People that could get married. People that could hold down jobs. People that could... See the sunrise and sunset and had homes to go to. People who could see the waves washing up onto the shore. People that could look into the innocent eyes of a child. Look at a man who was locked in darkness and told him to be quiet and let Jesus pass by without making such a fuss. I bet if they were the one blind, it would have been a different story. But if one of their kids was sitting here begging in darkness, they wouldn't have minded a little bit of commotion. But none of them cared to whip for Bartimaeus, and they fought against him getting the attention of Jesus. May God have mercy on any wretched person who keeps another person from getting to Jesus. I've seen it from the pulpit so many times when somebody is under conviction. I mean, heavy conviction. I ain't just to get to the altar and somebody beside him is cutting up and holding on to him and laughing and trying to keep their attention off what God is doing. May God have mercy on anyone who does that. This beggar was in a conflict. Uh, we've seen the circumstance of the beggar and the conflict of the beggar. And now let's turn our attention a bit to the course of Christ. Now, keep a marker where you're at, but go to Luke chapter 9, verse 51, if you would, please. Why don't you look back with me at a text that chronologically occurs slightly before the one that we're considering. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Luke 9, 51 says, And it came to pass, when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. 
This occurred before what we're reading, the account of the healing of blind Bartimaeus. Jesus had done so much and gone so many places. I mean, he had, he had been all over the land of Israel. He'd been in Capernaum, and he'd been all around the shores of Galilee. He'd gone up to Tyre and Sidon at one point. He'd, he'd been in a lot of places, but there reached a point in the life and ministry of Christ at which he, in so many words, said, no, no more traveling, no more turning back, full speed ahead. Let me get to Jerusalem. Let me suffer and die for all the sins of all mankind, then let me rise again and let me go back home to my Father. Jesus was now utterly possessed by that one thought. Now go back to Mark chapter 10. Notice what he said right before what we're reading in our text. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 33, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priest and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him and shall scourge him and shall spit upon him and shall kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. Now, now, if you are married, men, you know that there is sometimes some uncertainty in where you're going. All you need say is, what would you like to eat? And you'll understand there's some uncertainty in where you're going. But Jesus has at this point no uncertainty as where he's going. He has no uncertainty as to when he's going. He's going right then. He's saying, we are going to Jerusalem. I mean, we are set on that course. I'm absolutely going to get to Jerusalem. So Jesus is now a man on a mission, and Jericho is not the mission. Jerusalem is the mission. Jesus has to get there. And, and do you know why he has to get there? Well, the triumphal entry is waiting for him there. He is going to, for the briefest of times, be treated exactly like they should have been treating him the entire time. I mean, they're going to cast palm leaves and garments in the way and let him ride on an animal, and they're going to stand on either side of the road shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. They should have been doing that for all these years now. And finally, he's going to get the attention and the adoration and the glory and the praise and the worship that he's always deserved. So he wants to get there to Jerusalem. Well, the second cleansing of the temple is waiting for him there in Jerusalem. He did it at the beginning part of his ministry and yet he has seen it go back to exactly what it was. So he wants to get to that temple. He wants to get in there and flip over those tables and chase out those money changers and establish one more time that his house is going to be called a house of prayer for all people. So he, he, he's anxious to get to Jerusalem because the temple really needs cleansing. The Last Supper is waiting for him there. I mean, he said, with desire, I have desired to eat this meal with you before I suffer. He's going to have his closest friends, the dearest person on earth to him, one more time gathered around a table. He's going to fellowship with them and eat with them and talk with them and instruct them. He really wants to get there to Jerusalem for this purpose. But it's not just that. Gethsemane is waiting for him there. I mean, there's going to be a showdown before Calvary ever gets to be. He's going to be, there in the, he's going to be out there in Gethsemane. And that all the devils and demons of hell are going to fight against him. And it's going to be over whether or not he's going to take that cup of our sin and our suffering. And he's going to sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. And he's going to make up his mind one more time to obey the Father and do his will. I mean, Gethsemane is coming and he is anxious to get there. His arrest is waiting for him there. He is going to be taken into captivity for us who have already been in captivity. He's, he's anxious to get there and get this show on the road. And his trials are waiting for him. I mean, he's going to, he's going to stay. 
stand before the governors of men. He's going to be tried for our iniquity. In Calvary, the very purpose for which he came is waiting for him. I mean, the tree's been growing and now it's cut down and now it's ready. I mean, he's anxious to get there because he's, he sees your sins and he sees my sins. He's anxious to get there and die for the sins of all mankind. Calvary is waiting for him. And then he wants to get there to Jerusalem because the, the greatest day in the history of the world, the resurrection is waiting for him. I mean, he's going to die, but he's not going to stay dead. I mean, he's going to die, but he's going to come back to life three days later. He's going to rise victorious over death, hell, and the grave. His body's going to come back, and he's going to show himself to his disciples and followers. I mean, there's nothing greater than the resurrection, and that's coming. But then after the resurrection, the ascension is waiting for him. I mean, he's going to get his disciples there on a mountain, and he's going to give them last instructions. He's going to slowly and dramatically rise into the sky and be received into the clouds. I mean, that's waiting for him, and he is anxious to get there and get to that. And then after 33 and a half years of being away from home, after 33 and a half years of not seeing his own father, he's going to get to go home and see dad one more time. I mean, can you imagine the reunion? Can you imagine the seraphims gathering him around him one more time? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. I mean, all this is waiting for him. He gets to go home. So we see the circumstance of the beggar conflict of the beggar, the course of Christ. But now let's go back to Jericho to a blind beggar on the side of the road and notice the captivation of Christ. Mark 10, 46. And they came to Jericho. And as he went out of Jericho with the disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Bartimaeus, sat by the highway side begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And he charged him that he showed his peace, but he cried the more a great deal. No, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And he called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What will thou that I should do unto thee? And the blind man said to him, Lord, how am I receive my sight? And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. There's so much that's so remarkable to notice in these verses. It's remarkable that Jesus is now walking the road between old Jericho and new Jericho, which is why one account says he's leaving, the other says he's going into Jericho, and that in between those two that day, there just so happens to be a blind man there. thousand things could have kept him from being there. thousand things could have put him in one city or the other, but God made sure he'd be right out there where Jesus would be passing by. It's remarkable that this was the last time Jesus would ever pass that way. This man got help on his very last opportunity. There would never be another chance. It's remarkable that after this man was healed, he followed Jesus in the way. Someone who has really gotten saved does that exact same thing. They follow Jesus in the way. You won't be able to tell somebody's saved by the tears they shed or don't shed at the altar. You'll be able to tell whether they got saved because they follow Jesus in the way. All of this is remarkable. We could preach or sing or do poetry about any of it. But to me, the most remarkable thing is a very small phrase that almost universally goes overlooked. A phrase that occurs only this once in the life of Christ. Mark 10, 49, and Jesus stood still. Say that with me. Jesus stood still. Say it again. Jesus stood still. He stood still in the outskirts of Jericho. But Jericho's not the mission. Jerusalem's the mission. The triumphal entry is waiting for him. They're finally going to glorify him like they ought to. They're finally going to shout Hosanna. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus stood 
still. The second cleansing of the temple is coming. He's going to cleanse it out one more time to remind them that my, house, my, my father's house will be a house of prayer for all nations. You've made a den of thieves. But Jesus stood still. The Last Supper is waiting for him. He's going to get with his closest friends and disciples. And he's going to have just one more time to love on them and fellowship with them and wash their feet. But Jesus stood still. Calvary, the very purpose for which he came, is coming. I mean, he's finally going to shed his blood and die for the sins of all mankind. He's finally going to get to that apex point of history where everything is dealt with that he promised all the way from Genesis 3.15. But Jesus stood still. The resurrection day is coming. I mean, he is going to walk out of a tomb after having been dead for three days. He's just going to walk out alive, victorious forevermore. But Jesus stood still. The ascension is coming. I mean, he's going to rise slowly into heaven, gloriously into the clouds. I mean, there's never been anybody do it like Jesus does. It. But Jesus stood still. And then after 33 and a half years of being away from home and not seeing dad, he's going to be at home again seeing his father all this is coming, but Jesus stood still. When he was consumed with going forward, the cry of a helpless blind man got his attention and he stood still. When multitudes were ready to adore him, a man who literally had nothing to offer him got his attention and he stood still. When he was about to make a name for himself that would be above every name, a name that countless billions across the world would come to know, a man who didn't even have his own real name got his attention, and he stood still. When he was about to stand before the high priest and the governor and the king, a beggar got his attention, and he stood still. When he was in a hurry, when he had a thousand things to do with the weight of the world on his shoulders, the glory of the heavens laying before him, he stood still. He stood still for a man with no pedigree, with no prosperity, no popularity, or no prospects. He just stood still. He stood still knowing it wouldn't put a shekel in his pockets. He stood still when it meant he would have to walk a little faster to get to his destination on time. He stood still. In case you've not figured out what this means to you yet, it means that even if you think you're the least important person in the entire world, the God who superintends 200 billion trillion stars and 2 trillion galaxies will put everything on hold and give you his full attention every time you need it. He'll stand still. I know the sound of shuffling feet as they pass by each day. I know the sound of laughter sweet as kids enjoy their play. But oh, I wish that I could see the ones who make those sounds. My eyes are gray and sightless as I sit here on the ground. But what is this I hear now as the crowd comes gathering around? They say a man with healing power is coming through our town. They say his name is Jesus and that he is God's son. I wonder if he'll stop for me, a blinded, helpless one. He stood still, he stood still. When I had naught to offer, he stood still. He had a million things to do, so much he would fulfill. But when I needed him the most, he stood still. He'll do the exact same thing 